That's all fandom. Welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast, which, yes, is still alive. I am your host, Sunny, also known as Dynamic Symmetry on Twitter and Pillowfort, because not Tumblr no longer, because Tumblr fucking sucks. I mean, I'm still there and that I'm still updating fic and posting it when I do that, but otherwise I'm not on Tumblr anymore, so uh, don't expect me to be active there. But otherwise, anyway, yeah, hi. Um, I wanted to just go ahead and fucking get back into this, partly because, well, one of the reasons why it's been so long since I did one of these is that I have been trying to get my dissertation done. And I finally turned the draft into my committee yesterday and then got really drunk. And um, I'm like, I kind of want to go back to where my life was before it was all extermination camps. So uh, I'm doing this today. Um, This isn't going to exactly be a normal episode of Keep Singing to the extent that those even exist. I do intend to pick up the rambling dead again. It really bothers me that I didn't even get all the way through season one. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and finish Safe Up Here with you. I'm gonna finish Burn. I'm gonna do all that stuff that I kind of just left and, and never finished. But I wanted to kind of get my hand in today by uh, doing a little assortment of one-shots. I've got four stories for you. Uh, they're not real long because, you know, I gotta do four of them. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're short and sweet and uh, I hope you'll enjoy them. Uh, I don't think I really have anything else to say. Sorry, I'm kind of scatterbrained. Like I said, I got drunk last night. So, uh, yeah, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Our first story is Peaches by Wallflower. Daryl wasn't sure when it was he'd made the mental note that Beth loves tin peaches, but he had, swirling it away in the back of his mind with other important facts like don't wipe your ass with poison oak. From that moment on, he was on the lookout. His eyes subconsciously zoned in on tins and he checked every label, even detouring down the canned goods aisle when they were out on a run for something else. Just in case. Finally, he lucked out while searching a house in a town they hadn't been through before. In the untouched kitchen, he found his bounty hidden at the back of a cupboard and decided that the particular can was destined for Beth Green. He let Maggie and Glenn pack up the rest of the food into the car as he forcefully squeezed the tin into his inside pocket, close to his chest, and got on his bike. They were combing further out looking for survivors, weapons, meds, not food. They had enough of that at the prison now they were growing their own. They had enough for now, but it was always good to have reserves to fall back on. They weren't just living day by day anymore. They were planning for the future. When he rumbled through the prison gates ahead of the car, his eyes were drawn to blonde hair glowing in the sunshine as Beth sat on the steps, bouncing baby Judith on her knee. As a flurry of helpers flocked toward the car to see what had been brought in from outside, Daryl slipped past them and across the yard. Beth looked up as he approached and flashed him an easy smile. When he stopped in front of her, she blinked up at him curiously. Without saying anything, he handed her the can. Her face lit up instantly, and it felt good seeing her smile reach her eyes like that. He knew it couldn't be easy being cooped up inside these walls looking after a baby day and night. After that, he looked for peaches on every run with such determination that might as well have been the cure to getting bit. They had a purpose, and it meant as much to him as anything else he went out there for. Maybe more. The next time he walked up to her in the yard and pulled something from his pack, she smiled before she even set eyes on the tin. That same smile that made her eyes sparkle in a way that caused his heart to beat a little faster. She'd gushed to thank you, and he'd scurried off as he felt his cheeks grow warm at the intensity of the gratitude in her soft voice. He hadn't done anything deserving of that. It wasn't anything special, not really. 
just a can of peaches. He's out on a hunt when he stumbles across a little cabin in the woods. The place is trashed, blood-covered furniture scattered everywhere. There's only one walker hidden away in the back room, and it's hanging from a noose. Beneath the swinging dead, there's a backpack, as though he'd been thinking about moving on and thought better of it. Wrong call. Inside, there's a few protein bars, a can of spaghetti, and a tin of Georgia peaches. With a crooked smile, he takes the lot. And more than makes up for the five rabbits on a string he'd previously been going home with, and he shoots the dead fucker through the forehead to show his appreciation. When Daryl gets back to the prison, the sun is sinking low in an amber sky, and Beth is sitting on the prison steps, without Judith this time. Her hair is glowing rose gold in the last light of the dying day. The yard is deserted, the others gathering for dinner by the wisp of smoke trailing up from the back of the prison and the lingering smell of stew in the air. He wonders why she's out here on her own for a moment until she looks up and smiles at him. Hey, he grunts as he comes to stand in front of her. Hey, looks like you got a good haul, she says, nodding to the string of rabbits. Daryl's mouth slides up, reaching inside his pack for the real prize of today, the only one he really cares about. Her gaze drops to his outstretched hand and a grin breaks out across her face. Her eyes flick back up to him and he jerks the tin at her, feeling his chest tighten under the gratitude in her eyes. She reaches out and takes the can, her soft fingers brushing his rough knuckles for the briefest moment. He's turning to go when she calls his name, stopping him in his tracks. Slowly, he swings his gaze back to where she's now standing. You want to share it? She asks, holding the can out between them. He sees the can in the periphery of his vision because he can't tear his eyes away from her hypnotic cornflower blue gaze. He nods helplessly because he doesn't think he can deny her anything when she's looking at him like that, eager, expectant, enthused by his presence alone. She beams at him in response, perching on the steps and scooting to the side to make room for him. Untying the rabbits from his belt, he slings them over the railing before cautiously lowering himself down beside her. His hip is pressing against the side of the steps as he tries to leave a little distance between them, but it's a tight fit and there's barely an inch in the middle of their denim-covered thighs. Beth digs out the ring pole with her nail and peels the lid off, bending it back until it snaps off. She carefully plucks a slice of fruit from the can with her thumb and forefinger before passing it over to Daryl. He takes it, reaching in and grabbing a piece with his thick fingers. Beth smiles around the fruit in her mouth as she watches him throw the wedge down his throat without swallowing and pass the can back to her. They stopped using utensils out on the road, and it's a habit that's stuck. He feels a great surge of affection when he sees her eating like this. A girl with her upbringing and carefully honed manners eating out of a can the same as him. Not exactly the same as him, though. There's something dainty about the way she pinches the fruit between her fingers and brings it to her mouth, as though it was something worth savoring, and not just tin fruit. She passes the can back, and he drags another piece up the rib side with his fingers before tossing it in his mouth. He can feel juice running down his chin as he watches her lick the same syrup from her lips. In silence, they carry on like that, passing the can back and forth between them until he's fishing the final slither from the bottom. Drink up, Daryl says, passing her the can of juice with an expectant look as he sucks his fingers and then licks his palm clean. It's my favorite part, she smiles, taking the can and looking down at the amber liquid. I know, he murmurs, watching the apples of her cheeks grow full as her smile widens. Her eyes fly up to his and cause his breath to catch in his chest. How'd you know that? she asks, smooth forehead creasing as she knits her eyebrows together in confusion. Daryl runs his tongue along his bottom lip, savoring the last of the juice. Remember you saying, out on the road, he offers, ducking his head and scuffing his feet on the edge of the concrete step. 
that was, that was months ago, Beth says, sounding odd as she blinks up at him with her impossibly huge blue eyes. Daryl shrugs, looking up at her through his hair and just barely meeting her gaze. I can't believe you remembered that, Beth says quietly, wrapping her slim fingers around the can of juice as though it were something incredibly precious. Why wouldn't I, he asks, watching her fingers knit together around the can. I always thought I annoyed you, Beth says, her mouth pulling to the side. Just another helpless kid that needs protecting. Daryl frowns at her curled fingers and then lifts his gaze to meet hers. Ain't helpless. You sure as hell ain't a kid, he says. Beth's eyes flare, becoming penetrating as they bore back into his. He wants to look away from the intensity of it, but somehow finds he can't. No, she asks, tilting her head to the side like a bird. Fuck no, he huffs, shaking his head at the audacity of her statement. Beth giggles, and Daryl feels the corner of his mouth twitch at the sound. Good, because I really wouldn't want you to think that, she says. Daryl frowns in confusion, and his mouth opens around a question that doesn't pass his lips. Beth tips her head back and pours the juice down her throat, a little trickle escaping the corner of her mouth. Daryl watches her tongue flick out to catch the stray drops, and then she's springing to her feet. He tilts his head to look up at her, the empty can clutched tightly in her hands. Thank you, Daryl, she says, with enough sincerity to make his heart race. I'm nothing, he grates out. Beth blinks down at him slowly, tilting her head to the side again, persistent gaze locked on his. It's something, she says softly, eyes sparkling with the smile that's curling her mouth. That, in this moment, is just for him alone. Okay, so that was sweet. Yeah, the others aren't going to be that sweet. <laughs> Sorry, we're not we're not that blessed in this fandom in terms of how happy the ship is. But uh, the none of the others are like super sad, I think. Uh, and all of them, I I feel like are kind of in keeping with the theme, which is which is kind of cool. So uh, the next one we're doing is maybe everything that dies someday comes back by Left My Wings at Home. He's gone beyond the capacity to feel anything. He simply exists because the only other option is to not. And he can't do that. He won't do that. So when she comes in with a group that Aaron found, he doesn't notice her at first, purposefully looks away from the flash of blonde just like he has thousands of other times after the thousands of times he did look, looked and never found her blue eyes, her smile, her infinite faith. She was gone, like the rest, and he knew it was no use believing in anything good anymore. Aaron ushers the group in through the gates, all the while explaining the rules in a way that makes most people want to follow them as if giving up their weapons sounds like a fine idea. They do hand them over, a couple of guns, an axe, two bowie knives. He sees the blonde hair again surrounded by the group. Looking away, he shoulders his bow and nods at Aaron. Where they come from, he asks the scout. Georgia? Atlanta? The name is an echo and it rolls through him like a wave of nausea, bitter in the back of his throat. We were at a hospital there. Grady, you might have... An older man with glasses held together with silver tape, a backpack dangling from his arms, wants to explain, plead his case, their case, this little ragtag group of survivors. But the blonde hair is morphed into a ponytail. A ponytail with a little braid. And to his horror, that blonde ponytail is moving, turning. You see a blonde girl? The face he unconsciously searched for, never imagining he'd ever find, because that face, that girl, is dead. 
So how is it that she's standing right in front of him, staring at him with those big blue eyes? What changed your mind? Daryl? It's like being kicked in the balls, a sharp screaming pain that takes all the air from his lungs and makes him want to curl up around the part of him that aches, a dull thumping that matches the beat of his heart. But that's not how leaders react to situations like this, and that's what they expect him to be now. A leader. He's not a leader. Never was, never wanted to be. He's nobody. Nothing. A redneck asshole who's lost everyone. Daryl, it's Beth. She looks a little scared. He can see her hand tremble as she brushes her hair back. Like maybe he's forgotten her. No, it's you, girl. Does he? Does he really, in fact, know it's her? It's all he manages to voice, but it's not all he wants to say. Did you think I could ever forget you? I carried you on my back, in my arms, in my fucking heart that broke and broke. And now it's breaking again because this has to be some sick joke. He's having a nightmare, a hallucination. He's finally lost his goddamn mind. He'll wake up in a tangle of sweaty sheets and... She's alive, and she's closed the space between them and somehow managed to slip her arms inside his leather jacket, and she's holding on, and her shoulders are shaking, she's crying, and he's standing here like a complete fucking idiot because he can't move, can't even manage to pat her on the back, touch her hair, something, anything. But he can't. The absolutely amazing thing is she doesn't seem to care at all. Or maybe she doesn't notice. She eventually takes his hand and they walk, and she must be leading, even though he's supposed to be the leader, and they end up on the porch of the big house. Barrington Manor, mansion, some fancy name that no longer matters. It's big, and it's a house. She's looking at him. She isn't smiling. She's just looking. So he lets himself look, too. She's changed. But haven't they all? Isn't that what this world does to a person now? Takes you apart and puts you back together like a broken doll. Her hair is clean. He noticed that because it's shining, even in the fading light. Her clothes, too. They're in fairly good shape, as were the rest of her little groups. They're worn and patched in places, but not covered in walker guts or blood from a gunshot wound he would have taken himself, given the chance. The scars. They line her face. Two small, delicate lines that look like they were drawn by a child with a pink marker. And one round, raised spot on her forehead. His fingers instinctively search out the burn mark on his hand, round and raised almost, but not quite the same. Shaking his head, bringing himself back, he meets her eyes. This is where you're all at? Tentative and hopeful. All. No, not all. Rubbing his face and letting himself just feel it, like Carol says he should, he shakes his head. He's going to have to tell her, before they can go any further. It can't be any other way. Well, go on, boys. Spit it out. Not everybody made it, Beth. All the people you loved. He doesn't have nice words to use, and it's not like he can break this to her gently. Not this. She survived. She made it. And everyone else. But she's a smart girl, and she's already got it figured out before he starts naming off names. Oh. The easy ones come first. The people she cared about because Beth cares about everyone, but not the ones she loves. Not them. Not yet. She says their names one by one, never taking her eyes off of him. Tyrese and Sasha, Lizzie, Mika, a few of the others who came from Woodbury that just got out of the prison when they did, but he never saw again. Names he doesn't even remember. At least for those, he can just shrug his shoulders. And she isn't crying. It's heavy. He can see it. The weight of a loss of these people is something she carries now. 
her nodding, him nodding along with her. The silence is drawn out, and it's uncomfortable, and as much as he just wants to get it over with, check off the names on the list, he wants to stop it right there. He wants to turn and run away into the forest with his bow and his shadow and nothing else. Not her and all the people they loved and lost. But she's back. She's alive, and she's back, and... He's not alone. Clearing his throat, he starts in again. Carol, she's in another community, not far. Nodding, she takes over. Glenn? When he shakes his head, he hears the intake of breath, a soft little gasp that gives him the chills. Carl? This time he hears her whisper, No, and he feels it in his own chest, the way a heart can break and still go on beating. Judith? He can nod. Thank God he can nod, and he does so forcefully, the hair on his forehead covering his eyes. She's here, probably inside. I've got another baby. Maggie? And there it is again, that little spark of hope, that unwavering faith this girl has carried with her like a flame, a flame he once followed just to find his way. Now he's going to put it out. No. No, she... And the baby. No. Living through it, losing his people, it destroyed him. This, telling her, it's a different kind of hell. It's like losing all of them again and watching it destroy her. She's strong, so incredibly strong, but everyone has a breaking point, don't they? Her tears spill over onto her cheeks and it's devastating, but he can't help but think and feel guilty for the thought that at that moment she's beautiful. Because she's alive and she's standing here in front of him, crying real tears, and he's not alone. He's fucked up in so many ways, but he doesn't want to be alone and he doesn't want to hurt her. He's all she has left and he owes this to her. Beth, come here. She's shaking her head because, of course, they aren't done yet. Michonne. Daryl shakes his head again and Beth shudders and reaches for the hand he's still holding out to her. Rick? There it is. The last one. And he doesn't have to say or do anything. She moves in close and he can hear it now, her crying. It's not just tears anymore. And it's not just her. He's cried for them, every single one, mourned for them, still does. But this, Beth, is here, and they're wrapped up in each other, and he's not alone. He doesn't have to do this on his own anymore. For as many people as he has around him, good people, people he considers family, they don't know what he's lost, not completely. But she does. When she came back, how, all the details that seem like a motherfucking fairy tale will come in time. Right now she's holding him up, as small as she is. She's holding him up and stroking his hair and whispering things he can't make out, but it doesn't matter. And yet it does. I told you. You, you were going to be the last man standing. I told you, but I didn't. Not like this. Never like this. Her voice is a whisper. Like the breeze, it sometimes eddies through the leaves and the trees. It's not in one place. It's everywhere. Ain't the last one. No, no more, girl. Okay, so maybe I spoke too soon. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That, I, I, I gotta say something about that fic. That fic is brave in a way that I kind of didn't expect, you know, because 
When we tell reunion stories in this fandom, we err so much on the side of making them happy, which makes sense and is great. But like, it's, I haven't read that many fics where Beth comes back and like, it's sort of like the show in that everybody is fucking dead and it's unfair and shitty, but that's just kind of how it is. Like, I, I, I admire the move to do that. I really do. And especially because it, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's kind of resonant right now, especially because, again, the show has kind of decided that it's going to do this because it hates joy. And uh, it's, it's interesting to think about, okay, and I think what a lot of us have thought about that who think Beth might not be gone. Like, okay, at this point, fuck, like, she comes back everybody's gone. Like, yeah, Maggie and Herschel are dead, but they're gone, and Rick's gone, and they all think he's dead, and Carol is living in another community, and, uh, and this was, uh, this was written last year, so it was, it was, you know, prior to season nine, so, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's very, very good, but, uh, ouch. Okay, um, moving on. Got two more to go. Uh, I think maybe they won't be quite as sad. The last one might be as sad. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Sad is also somewhat in the eye of the beholder or ear or whatever. But yeah. All right. The, the next one is Leaving by Ivy and Ocean. The moon had risen high, casting a glow over her body, which had finally finished emitting its little tremors. She was nestled in his arms on the front porch of the house, and Daryl absentmindedly stroked her hair as the stillness settled in around them. Her sobs had died down a good time ago, reduced to the occasional heave of her shoulders and strong sniffling, until finally she was quiet. Daryl thought she must have fallen asleep, so he sat as still as possible, holding her small frame in place against him. It had been two weeks of this routine. Since Beth had found her way to the ASZ and her family, she'd been plagued with nightmares. Each night she'd ended up on the porch of Maggie and Glenn's, crying and looking up at the moon, and each night Daryl found himself listening intently for the sounds of her. He would slip out of the house he stayed at with Rick and ease himself quietly up onto the porch steps. She'd look up at him and cry harder, and he'd take her into his arms wordlessly. Some nights her crying would ease within minutes, and they'd spend the night huddled on the steps, waiting for morning, half-sleeping. Other nights, like tonight, Beth's tears would keep coming, and all Daryl could do was hold her tight and whisper little things in her ear as he rubbed her back. It's fine, girl. You're fine now. You're home. I got you. The moonlight glittered on the pavement that stretched in front of the houses, catching on the smoother pieces of the road. Daryl kept one arm around Beth and fiddled with the strings of his crossbow while his thoughts continued to swirl. It was a warm evening, later in the summer by their guesses, and despite the sweat gathering on his brow, he welcomed the feeling of Beth so close to him. Still, his body could only take so much of sitting in one position before his limbs began to protest. Daryl finally shifted his body to take some of the weight of her off his leg, which had long ago turned numb. As the pins and needles feeling took over, he flinched and felt Beth stir. I can't stay here, Daryl. Maybe she hadn't been sleeping after all. He took in a slow, deep breath, not exactly sure what to make of her words. Every day since she'd shown up at the gates with Heath and Tara's group, he'd been afraid to question anything. She was alive when he'd seen her die. Death before the turn was one of the few black and white things in life. Either you were or you weren't. He himself had laid her body in that trunk and let his family pull him away from her because she had died. She was dead. Was any of this real, he wondered, or had his grief finally sent him spinning over that edge? As it turned out, this girl defied that certainty. She'd only been a little bit dead, and then she was very much alive. After a few days and long nights of holding her, he finally let it sink in that she had indeed come back to him. 
He didn't try to speak to her or ask anything of her, didn't even interact with her outside of their nightly ritual. The others took care of that. He knew she'd been to see Denise, that Maggie and Rick had taken their time getting the full story out of her over the course of several days. She didn't cry around anyone else, at least not according to what Rick had told him. It's a goddamn miracle, and I don't know how... Fuck, Daryl, I don't know how she made it through what she did. She doesn't cry, she's telling us these things, and she doesn't break. Maggie's been worried about that, but I figure maybe it's just her way now, Rick paused. After everything. Rick had proceeded to try and fill Daryl in on what they'd managed to glean from a stoic Beth. Some parts he tuned out, other times he'd put his hands up and walked away. There were some things he couldn't handle hearing, knowing he'd never be able to take away whatever had happened. He hadn't been there. Not the first time when he'd run all night and she was just gone. Not the second time, either. He'd come so close to being there, his body in the hallway, his gun in his hand, but again it hadn't been enough. Maybe I could have done something. Daryl? She pulled herself up slowly from where she'd been curled in a little ball against his thigh, bringing him out of his thoughts. He slid his hand up her back in response until it rested on her shoulder, thumb absentmindedly stroking her neck. Bruises were gone now, but somehow he could still see them. She met his gaze then. Daryl, I can't stay. I know. He paused, stealing his nerves. I gotta leave tonight, though, Beth. Hell, I ain't really gotta leave at all. Daryl slid his hand over hers, where they were curled together in her lap, his left hand still anchoring her, bits of her blonde hair tangled in his fingers, and he continued to rub her shoulder softly. I know they told you... I know you know about... Daryl gripped her thin hands in his larger one. Don't matter, girl, his voice stern as he looked directly into her eyes. She needed to know that whatever happened didn't change how he saw her. It does matter, though. That's the thing. I... I'm not like how I was, her voice cracked, a sob forming in her throat. Daryl gathered her against his chest and held her tight. How he could feel her small frame begin to shake again, her tears already soaking his shirt. Hey, hey, shh, it's okay. Whispering more comforting things, anything he could think of to ease a bit of her sadness. All the while knowing full well it was going to take more than just kindness and a back rub. He thought for a while, then in a low voice spoke again. A while back, I was out hunting, way out between here and Hilltop. Came across this little house. Well, more of a shack, really. Beth lifted her head from his chest, rubbing the tears from her eyes with the backs of her hands. Daryl continued, got caught out here when a smaller herd came through. I was on my own, just praying for a good place to hide in for a bit. There it was. He reached out and tucked her hair behind her ear, stopping to smooth the tear tracks from her cheeks with his thumb. Her breathing hitched, but she didn't seem to be crying anymore, so he kept on. Didn't even have time to really sweep the place, just opened the door and hoped like hell I wouldn't find anyone or anything worse than all them walkers. Beth was sitting up now, looking out into the street as Daryl spoke. Took hours for him to pass. Place stank, full of dust and God knows what else. Was hot as hell, too. He shifted, nudging her shoulder with his until she looked back at him. I don't know the worst part. He paused, biting his lip. It reminded me of you. She was silent, confusion playing over her features, then her face softened, and he knew then that she remembered. I nearly busted out laughing, had to shove a musty pillow over my face to keep from drawing those bastards back toward me. All I could picture was you, shaking jars of liquor around, lighting matches. A smile. Small at first, but it grew from a thin line until it reached her eyes. A real, genuine smile. Can we go there? she asked, voice breaking a bit after all the crying. It's gonna need fixing up, 
Sure as hell ain't as nice as here. But yeah, we could. He could see a bit of the tension release from her shoulders as she sat up straighter. She put her arms out in front of her, stretching her limbs, opening and closing her hands and shaking them. Then she settled her hands in her lap once more, staring off into the night. One thing, though, Green. Hmm? What's that? She rolled her shoulders before leaning into his again. Gotta promise me you won't burn this one down. A snort escaped her lips and she met his eyes again. We'll see, was all she gave him. He put his arm around her again, leaning his head down to breathe her in. She wiggled closer to him, resting her cheek against the inside of his shoulder. We'll see, he repeated, feeling a mixture of relief and wonder that this moment was possible at all. Okay, so that one is actually part of a series, although it's technically a one-shot. The series is called Scenes at the End of the World. Doesn't look like Ivy has written any more since she wrote this one, but like maybe if you like this, go and poke her and be like, hey, want to know what happens after when they go to the house and maybe there's kissing. Just, yeah, just like, you know, if you want more of them, like, okay, like any fic. I'm taking a second to, to editorialize it, but any fic you want more of, for the love of Christ, tell them. Even if it's just like, hey, like a sentence, I want more of this. Just let people know that you want more of what they're writing. I cannot emphasize that enough. So if you want more of this, let Ivy know and maybe she will give us some. That would be extremely cool. Okay, one more to go. That one wasn't as sad. I, I, I was correct. That one didn't end up being as sad. Um, but I have one more to go that may be kind of sad. One of the tags is emotional hurt without the comfort. I mean, I don't know, you tell me. I don't think it's crushingly sad, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I'm not being very upbeat, but I love these fics. I don't know. They're just, they're, they're great. So uh, the last fic that we're going to do is The Ocean in Your Head is So Deep and Dark, and it is by CC5. It's a right ear, just sometimes. Sound suddenly vanishing, replaced by a ringing noise, often triggering a migraine. Painful, embarrassing, and mostly inconvenient. You can't hear the dead or living creeping up on you when your hearing is out of commission. But she hasn't told him that. It would be another thing he'd worry about. Another source of pity or guilt, or whatever the fuck that look is, he shoots her when he thinks she's not looking. But she always notices, always sees. Especially now that her head is so messed up, she has to be extremely aware of her surroundings. At least her vision is still twenty-twenty. Her eyes might be the only part of her body that haven't taken any damage one way or another. And it's not from the bullet to her head, started much longer before. Slowly, gradually, maybe some damage from a gun being fired too close to her ear. It doesn't matter. It is how it is, and how it is is not exactly ideal. But neither is a bullet to the head, she muses. Thankfully, it is only one ear, and she's not worried about going deaf, that the thought of living without sound has tormented her in her sleep many times. The absence of music, of voices, and eventually of all those memories connected to sound. The dangers aside, it would further torment her in this bland, dangerous world. Lonely. Isolated. Not that she isn't that already. Daryl is snoring ever so slightly, but that only happens when he falls asleep lying on his back, which he rarely does. It amuses her, and a smile creeps up on her face, unbidden. She watches him in the pale light of the moon, grunting in his sleep as he turns onto his side and his face is once more hidden from her. 
They aren't what they used to be, and she never dared to define exactly what that was to begin with. She keeps him at more than arm's length, and will for the unforeseeable future. The feeling of guilt creeps up and settles between her shoulder blades like a heavy weight. She unfolds her legs, stretches them as quietly as she can. Yes, he's asleep, but he's also a light sleeper, and she promised to take watch. It's a quiet night, as they mostly are. No sound of walkers or many animals she can make out through the closed window, with the exception of a noisy owl every now and then. A safe place to sleep, but sleeping in shifts nonetheless. Her whole body is sore and heavy with exertion, but she'll push on, push through. The sounds he makes, or doesn't make, she always liked. Almost soundlessly stepping over the forest floor when tracking. Always these mindful, soft steps when scavenging. Every movement of his body graceful in a way you wouldn't expect from a man like him. Rough around the edges, tough and oh so deadly when he must. She knows better, knows that his quietness is an animosity, but that was quite a lesson to learn. He uses words sparingly and as careful as he uses his bolts. Not talkative, not skilled at small talk, but definitely a man of action, and she wonders if she could bear living without sound around him. Because their language has always been an unspoken one, based on little touches and looks and less indirect sentences. Well, she tried. Filled every silence with chatter until he literally told her to shut up, and now she cannot even remember how it used to be to have the energy to speak that much. She feels old, worn out. Which she won't admit to him, not ever, that Grady has aged her, has affected her body and mind in ways she's still trying to figure out when she isn't busy doing the opposite. She's trying to still figure out a lot. Why she's sitting in this lodge with Daryl on the way to some place, he insists she should go. It's logical to reunite with a former group, but it's also useless. It's terribly ironic that she wants to be a vagabond, self-reliant and without ties, while Daryl wants to settle down and work toward a future. This role reversal should make her think, but she's too stubborn and angry. This anger, festering in her gut like an infection, is another thing she needs to figure out. Someday. Now she'll just sit here until the sun comes up to announce a fresh day, a clean slate, bright and full of possibilities that lead to the same results over and over again. Another day to fight for survival of body and mind. Another day to fight herself more than anything else. In the meantime, she relishes the current quietness. Silence is bearable around him now. Comfortable silence that feels like safety, but doesn't quite feel like home anymore. But, she supposes, hearing his breath is the best sound of all, since that means he's alive, he's here with her. And neither of them have given up on this wretched world just yet. Okay, so I lied. <laughs> I mean, I, I got all these together and I was like, you know what? I can't just leave it there. Like, I love that fic too. I love all of these fics, but it's, just, it's, it's, it's too sad. It's too, it's too sad. I can't do it. So um, I'm, this is sort of like a hidden track, I guess. Um, to finish this out, I'm actually going to toss in one of my own because it, it's happier. And uh, I don't know. I just, I really like this fic. So this is um, something that I actually wrote last summer for the whole Summer of Bethel thing that we did. The prompt was Sunset. This actually, I don't know, this ended up being arguably kind of a sequel to a piece of really emotional smut that I wrote about, like, a Christmas that they have together in the nursing home. You know, because, like, canon divergence. They stayed and nothing sucked and they were together forever and everything was great. Uh, so I wrote this as kind of like a, 
I didn't intentionally make it a sequel to that fic, but it kind of ended up being that way. But also it's, it's I kind of wanted to do like a, you know, end the series that I wrote for that summer, but also like look into their future in a way that's, you know, slightly melancholy, but also happy. So we're going to close it out with that. Uh, this is Make of Yourself a Light by me. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I'm not needed, yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Mary Oliver, The Buddha's Last Instruction He finds her sitting on the porch, leaning against one of the chipped white pillars, gazing with slightly unfocused eyes into the oncoming twilight. This part of the house has a western exposure, and the setting sun falls across her and gilds her pale cardigan, casts her hair and skin in bronze. The sky is an almost exact match for the color splashed across the trees, all densely arranged on the outskirts of the cemetery, and when all the hues are warm, he looks past her at it and feels a faint chill. Autumn is settling in, coming ahead of winter to prepare the cold. That part is still a ways off, but it's approaching. They've been here for well over a year. And what a year it's been. He remains where he is for a moment or two, merely watching her, soaking in the sight of her like she's basking in the last of the sun. Her knees are drawn up, but her arms aren't wrapped around them the way they once would have been. It's difficult for her to do that now. Her belly is so large. He doesn't make a sound, but she must sense him anyway, because suddenly and smoothly she glances over her shoulder, the curve of her smile showing in profile. Her hair is gathered back from her face, but only loosely, and as always, much of it has slipped free. Somehow the gossamer fine shadows of the strands on her face make her appear older and tired, and both of those in the loveliest possible way. They're both tired, and frequently. There's a lot of work to be done around here, to keep it safe and make it a home. But it's a good kind of tired, the kind that generates deep and peaceful sleep and nearly always good dreams. Or it might just be her influence. It wouldn't shock him. She pats the step beside her, and he unhesitatingly obeys, creaking across the old wood to her and lowering himself down. Another brief moment, and he's lifting his arm to curl it around her shoulders, but she gets there first. She leans against his side, snuggles a little, and he turns to press a lingering kiss to the crown of her head. So easy to touch her now. Easiest thing in the world. Something stirs behind the tree line, startles a flock of starlings. In a great dark burst, they take to the air, wheeling and diving in a perfectly cohesive plume until they find a suitable replacement set of branches to roost in. It holds his attention even after they've landed, and he finds himself running over the group names for birds that he can recall. And he can recall a number sufficient to surprise him. God knows where he even learned them from, being no great student of natural history. Yet they're there on his mental shelf, ready for retrieval. A murder of crows, a parliament of rooks, a bevy of doves, a watch of nightingales, a host of sparrows, an unkindness of ravens, a trembling of finches, a shimmer of hummingbirds, a radiance of cardinals, an exaltation of larks, starlings, a murmuration. She tilts her head up to his. Hmm? Did he say it aloud? It's a good word. It feels good, unsaid on his tongue. But abruptly he feels self-conscious, unaccountably shy, which he seldom feels now with her, and he isn't sure how to explain to her the offbeat paths down which his mind was wandering. So he shrugs, and she, in her wisdom and kindness, doesn't prod further. You feel no right. Not that he's worried. She would tell him if she didn't. 
but he likes to ask, to confirm. She hasn't let her pregnancy slow her down, does all the chores she used to, as if making up in advance for the extra load he'll have to shoulder after the baby comes. Which he'll be more than happy to do. Hell is looking forward to it. But Beth Green is Beth Green, and he'd never try to make her be anyone else. Even if he wanted to, he knows better. She nods, sighs, and lays a hand on her belly. She's kicking a lot today. Guess she's bored. She pauses and then twitches and exhales a laugh, reaches over and takes his free hand just as he's reaching, and guides it. There she goes. Feel. He feels. The soft, dull impact under his palm unlike anything else he ever felt before the tiny life inside her began to quicken. And as he does, his hand trembles and his chest hitches and his throat closes into a bittersweet knot. Sweet because what else could it be, but bitter because he has no illusions. This world is still dangerous and unfriendly to children, no matter how dearly they're loved. And although he thinks about it as little as possible, he hasn't forgotten what happened to Lori. But it's deeper than that. It's about that beautifully dying light. He rarely feels the two decades he has on her, but he's well aware of their presence. If they live, if they're spared, he'll be an aging man when his child is still young, and there's no way in hell he'll ever live long enough to meet a grandchild. He'll leave them both, sooner or later, and while he doesn't fear that day, he knows it's coming. Like the winter. Distant. But inevitable. Herschel. He remembers Herschel. But what he has is now, and in that astonishing, wonderful present he has this. He feels their baby moving inside her, and he closes his eyes and breathes. She's strong, Beth whispers. He has no idea how she knows it's a girl, because the ways of a pregnant woman are mysterious to him, and more than a bit mystical. So he respects them, and he believes her without question. Yeah, he says, just as hushed, and he has nothing else to say. His daughter stills again, quiets. She's strong. He can already see her, a little girl with her mother's solemn, laughing eyes, and strong enough to live in this world, live beyond him. When he's gone, she'll be here. That's all he could ever ask for. That's more than he could ever have conceived in his wildest and strangest dreams that he would have. I love you, Beth murmurs. He answers her with his lips on hers, light and so careful, and rests his brow against hers. We should go inside. They do. And he's less careful with her in bed, because she neither needs nor wants him to be. But he's slow, her back pressed against his chest and his arms around her as he pushes into her with steady, even thrusts, and he holds on to her so tight as she shudders and cries his name. Like singing. Their first night here, he dozed in a coffin while she sang to him, and it felt right. This feels right, too, dozing all tangled up in her as the night falls outside. She's asleep in minutes after she comes, but he lies awake and watches through the window as the stars emerge one by one. Someone might call this May-December, but that's not it. This is about sunrises and sunsets, he thinks, as he starts to drift. She's the flush at the crest of dawn, swelling into a bright, warm morning. He's fading, his colors deepening into the dark. But the colors themselves don't fade. Blackness is every color at once. Rich. Abundant. That doesn't sound so bad. We are a day is his last thought before he joins her, and he could never figure out how to tell her what that means. But she would already know.
So there you go. Five fix. That's actually, yeah, I'm actually kind of proud of myself. And I did that, oh, let me check. I did that in about an hour. I'm very proud of myself. Okay, so I'm gonna edit this and I'm gonna get it posted. I have no idea how long it's gonna take me to do that, but I'll try and have it up in the next day or so. Yeah, we're back, kind of. I don't know when I'm gonna update this again, but I, I will try to have it not be too long. I am defending my dissertation on May 8th. So after that, uh, one way or the other, my life will be different. And uh, hopefully that means I can jump back into doing some stuff that I used to do and haven't been able to do of, as much of as I would prefer. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate so much those of you who are here after all of this fucking time. Uh, I appreciate those of you who are coming to this for the first time, maybe. Welcome. I hope you listen to some of the back episodes because there's a lot of shit in there that I'm real proud of and a lot of great fic by some absolutely fantastic people. And yes, uh... Yeah. Yeah. We're still here, aren't we? All of us. That's really something. Okay. I'm here. I'll hopefully be back. I'll hopefully talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>